Hey everyone, welcome to the Craft Hot Sauce Podcast. We got a great episode for you today. Our guest is Deborah Sandler of Basildi. Basildi is a Caribbean-inspired line of pepper sauces and marinades that are designed for a quick and easy way to spice up your meals. Basildi CEO Deborah Sandler's mission was to create an all-natural, healthy sauce that families feel proud to use. Deborah is Venezuela-born, Trinidad and Tobago-raised, and the name Basildi is a Trinidadian word meaning crazy, head-over-heels-in-love. Deborah has over 30 years of innovation experience as a seasoned corporate America executive at PepsiCo, Johnson & Johnson, and most recently as the Chief Health and Wellbeing Officer at Mars. She's assisted in the launch of innovative products such as Splenda, pretzel M&Ms, and also created successful marketing campaigns such as Snickers commercial with Betty White, one of my favorite all-time commercials. Through Deborah's prior experiences, she started to recognize the increased market demand for healthy and minimalized processed foods and saw a need for a line of sauces that families could easily incorporate into their meals. It was a pleasure interviewing Deborah and learning more about her upbringing, Trinidadian cooking, moving and going to college in the U.S., and we tapped into some of her most exciting and innovative products that she's worked on in her prolific career. So without further ado, here's Deborah from Basildi with intro with some Calypso music. The full song will be at the end. Let's go. Deborah, thank you so much for, for coming on the Craft Hot Sauce podcast. My pleasure entirely. Yeah, it, it's it's Friday afternoon. Uh, it, it's This is usually when I have no uh, capability to kind of talk and everything, but I this is different because uh, I, I was doing a hot sauce cook this morning and I was thinking about kind of talking to you and, and your um, Basso D, uh, sauces and really excited to learn more, but I, I wanted to start off with something that is very unique, uh, is, is 12 siblings and your mother, uh, was, was one of 12. Um, and my grandfather was one of 12, um, <laughs> when he was growing up in Ireland, uh, and then emigrated to the to the U.S., but I'm always so interested in, in kind of that family dynamic. But I, I know you were uh, born in Venezuela. Uh, is that where your your parents and family were? What was also raised the family of twelve? Yeah. So our our family dynamic is is split between Venezuela and Trinidad. And uh, I was born in Venezuela. I grew up in Trinidad. My mother and my father were the same. Both born in Venezuela grew up in Trinidad. Um, the, my mother spent a bit more time in Venezuela, but the, you know, there's uh, an oil economy between yep. the two countries, right? And so it's not uncommon for people to go back and forth for jobs. And, um, and my mother, where I was born, I was literally born in the hospital of an oil camp. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that was something that, uh, the more I've learned about Trinidad and Tobago, uh, it's just kind of the, the roots of the country and, and um, 
I mean, uh, kind of Spanish and French colonized, if if I'm uh, correct, and and a lot of um, different uh, countries ha- have kind of uh, with Chinese and Indian and yeah. Um, it is a, it is the it is the truest melting pot that I can think of. So first of all, I colonized by just about every European power. Wow. The Port the Portuguese were there, the Dutch were there, the French were there. Um, the British were there, um, the Spanish were there. Um, the, the British were the ones that were the last colony. Um, and there's sort of still some relationship, but it's an independent, Trinidad and Tobago, an, an independent republic. But with each group, they left some people behind. <laughs> yeah. And then when the British were there, they brought indentured laborers. So that the African slaves had been brought previously. Um, some by the Portuguese, some by the Spanish, and then uh, and some by the British, and then some um, later on the British colonies brought indentured laborers from Sp- from India and from China, and so what you have is all of these different groups, um, you know, in the same country. I grew up celebrating all of the Hindu and Muslims Muslim holidays because. That's a significant part of the population. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, I've learned how that can come out in the food so much and I think in the music, but um, that was something I also kind of learned with the oil uh, is that there were so many steel drums that were, or steel uh, oil uh, drums that actually were were kind of put into drums that people play and, and everything. Yes. Too. So, so the oil drums t- became musical instruments and that's how, and I think the steel drum is one of the only sort of new musical instruments to have been created. I think maybe in a century, I'm not sure how long, but in a very long while. Um, and it was created by the slaves who were making music. These oil drums were left around and they changed them um, to make, to make the steel drum that we have today, which is, it's actually a very powerful story. Wow. Wow. So I, I imagine you had, did you have a lot of, when you were growing up, um, did you have a lot of family around you at, at all, all the time? Yeah. So um, yes. And I'm actually an only child. I have never felt, okay. like, I've never felt like an only child because my mother is the eldest, the second child and the eldest girl of 12. So six boys, six girls. Um, and you know, that the, the, the Venezuelan side, especially, but both, both countries, people are loud and energetic and welcoming and friendly. Um, so a lot of energy, a lot of family always around. Um, and I, you know, I just never felt like an only child because I had so many aunts and uncles and cousins that were around. Um, but most, but a lot of the family also, uh, it's also a global family because I've got, you know, first cousins, I have aunts and first cousins that live in Holland. Um, I have a family that was here in America. I still have family in Venezuela. And then of course there's a lot still in Trinidad. I have some in Germany, some in Portugal, Italy. I mean, we're, we're spread out. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that's great. That's great. Um, and, and I mean, you were kind of talking about, uh, 
the your family was kind of loud and energetic <laughs> it seems like festive and everything but it it seems like that from what I've learned and I just kind of uh, was speaking with a, a few other uh, two brothers from, from uh, Trinidad uh, and, and they were talking about kind of the culture uh, in liming, how, how it's kind of, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I do not want to put a definition on it because I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I feel like I, I, I'm not that familiar with it, but I mean, it seems like, what they were saying is like, Oh, you might be cooking a little bit. Um, you might be drinking a little bit. It could be family. It could be strangers. Um, but I'm just curious, like from your your upbringing, if, if there's any kind of traditions or or things that kind of have stayed with you and they they, they are you, I'd imagine in in some ways, but. Well, well, first of all, a lime is, you know, it, I, I guess it's what my daughter and her friends would call a kickback. Um, I mean, anybody coming over, there's something going on. Some people might be playing cards. Some people are cooking. Most people are drinking (laughs) (laughs) and talking and laughing and just hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Um, And that can happen in the kitchen, in the living room, on the street corner. (laughs) um, And so that is a very, a very Trinidadian thing um, that you're talking about there. That's And um, and so for, you know, liming, if you will, is definitely um, a tradition, uh, but we just sort of get together. And in my family, in part, I think, because we've got, um, we're now immigrants, right? So you've left and food becomes a thing that reminds us of home. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes the thing that keeps us connected it never fails. To, it never um, fails to amuse me. I mean, like, literally, whenever we get together as a family, it's almost like one of the first things that is a topic. Like, first of all, what do you got? What do you, what you, what you got to eat? <laughs> like, what are you serving us? What do you have to eat? Um, and then someone would say, oh, do you remember this fruit or this dish or this thing? Um, and the memories, the memories come back and there are stories that are associated. It's a way to keep our culture and our sort of uh, alive as well as to keep it, you know, the members of the family that maybe have not been exposed, that were born in this country. And so to make sure that those, the culture and the traditions are passed on um, and continue to live through different generations. Yeah, that's. I think that's really important, and uh, yeah, and and that's something. I don't. I don't want to kind of turn it about me, but uh, there's an Irish word called crack, and it, it, it's kind of good fun, good times, and everybody's yeah. hey, it, and any crack last night, and it kind of means good fun, and 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 as somebody that has family in Ireland and moved there and lived there for a number of years, I noticed how people are a lot more laid back and, and it's like when you're out with people or out at dinner, it's, it's time to be there and be present. And, and it doesn't matter if you're some known somebody your whole life or a stranger, but it's just that cheer can be, um, really, uh, uh, contagious. And, and, yeah. and so I, I think that's really cool. Um, I think the, the other thing that for us that's important, and this is just as important on the Venezuelan side as it is on the Trinidadian side is music. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, we're, we're a dancing family. It's, you know, and the music is playing and, and, you know, one minute you might be hearing a Venice, a Spanish song. Next minute you might be hearing a Calypso, a Trinidadian song. We mix it up. And because there are a lot of Venezuelans in Trinidad, sometimes the two things are together. Um, at Christmas time, we have this thing called Parang, um, which is a group of, it's sort of like, I guess the closest equivalent would be quarreling, um, you know, and they, well, they don't go house to house anymore, but they used to go house to house. Mm-hmm. But, they, but many of the songs are actually Spanish songs that the Trinidadians are singing. So it's actually very it's a it's what we call a real mix up. The, the, the culture great. is is mixed up, and I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade growing up there for anything in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you were growing up, did um, I mean we're going to get into your career and, and what was going to come? But uh, were what were you interested in? Kind of like what, what were you like as a kid? Any particular things that you were especially drawn towards? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I was one of those kids who uh, I was sort of in everything. My mother put me in a lot of different activities, I think, to expose me to different things to see what might stick. So she put me in different sports. She put me into ballet. She put me into a lot of other things. So I was very, very um, busy. <laughs> um, and I think the areas where I um, excelled um, I, I wouldn't say books. I wouldn't say academics. I did okay on the academics, but mm-hmm. the, but it wasn't sort of my passion and my love. Um, uh, I I did love to read. I did love to just sort of be outside and um, and get things done. You know, so yeah. um, what whatever. I just loved activity. Um, uh, as over time, that did change because um, you know. Strong academics is one way to get off the island and to boost a career. And so over time, I think from when I was younger, it was a lot about activities. I was a little bit of a top boy, maybe. And then eventually, as I got older, I realized, hey, wait a minute, I got to get I got to get the best possible grades because that's going to open opportunities outside of the island, off the island. I had, I had family yeah. in the United States. So to get into college, I got to do, you know, so I, I became much more studious as time grew on and became more interested in some of the, you know, different topics. So that was something that you were thinking about kind of at it. You decided you wanted to kind of leave at some point to yeah. you know, pursue your, your education. and. Well, I think it's because it is such a it was such a large family. There were people living in different parts of the world. Yeah. Many people doing different things. Um, I'd always come. At, we we all. I, I've traveled ever since I could remember, um, and 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 I often came to the United States to spend summers. And so I was probably closest with my aunt Grace and her family. My cousins here. Um, and so, although I will say coming to the United States was not my first choice. I thought I was going to be a linguist. I loved languages mm, and wow. I, I, and I love travel and I thought, oh, I'm going to become a translator for the UN. There's, there are two schools. There's the, the number one school is a school in Geneva. And then, you know, there's school in Paris. And I thought, I'm going to go to Paris and study. And my mom looked at me like, no, you're not. <laughs> She's like, you're my only daughter. You know, no one, you know, no one in Paris and they, and you are not ready to be on your own 
in Europe. (laughs) She said, you can study anywhere you want once you stay at my sister Grace's on Long Island. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it's like kind of we're like, we can get you going, but we have these uh, narrow criteria for... What what that says to me as a a mother later on in life is that what she saw is that I did need... um, I did need some constraints. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, and then there was a financial issue, of course, right? Um, that um, it, to pay, you know, in, in Trinidad dollars, it, at that time it was six or it was seven or eight Trinidad dollars to one US dollar. So sending me to college here is eight times the cost as it would be for anybody wow. else. Wow. Um, and so, you know, so there was just sort of the, as well, the practical realities of, you know, what we could afford. Yeah. So when you're 18, you go to Hofstra. Um, yes. And that must have been a pretty big transition. But what, what was that like? What That was, it's funny because I thought it would be an easy transition since I had come to the U.S. many times yeah. for vacation. And so going to college, I didn't really honestly think it through. Once I got once I got the parameters from my mother, it's the only college that I applied to. <laughs> um, and um, fortunately, my grades were good enough. I did get in. Um, and I thought, well, I'll just go there for a couple of years and then and then maybe I can demonstrate to my mother that I'm ready for Paris. Um, so but what I did to prepare myself was I signed up. I went to Hasha because they were the only one of the only schools that had an undergraduate degree in international trade so I could use my languages and combine it with economics and I decided to throw in marketing just for kicks and giggles and could um, you, sp- you I'd imagine you could speak Spanish and were there other languages that you were kind of fluent yeah. in or familiar with yeah I had studied French in school okay. Fre- French and Spanish and so those were you know I figured I yeah. kind honestly I kind of took Spanish for granted um I probably should not have but I did do French and French literature so I decided well I'll throw in French um as a minor at Hofstra um and it but it, with the first semester first year was actually kind of hard um you know I was this quote-unquote foreign student um and I really didn't understand the the educational system uh, and so really my first semester, all I did was I went to class and I didn't live on campus. I lived at my aunt's. Mm-hmm. I went to class, I went to class and I went home. That was it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was hard to make friends because I'm not on campus and I don't know anybody and I speak funny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so it took a while, but I, you know, I grew into it, fortunately, um, and got to know people and relaxed a little bit and eventually, you know, uh, moved on campus. But uh, I, at first I was like, wow, this is a harder transition than I thought it would be. And I'll be honest, it was the first time I remember I was in a class and a teacher was talking about, um, you know, minorities. And I was looking around thinking, who's he talking? Who's a minority? I mean, I didn't, I never had perceived myself. I grew up in a country mm. where, you know, black yeah. is the majority. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And the conversation about, you know, I'm a, I'm a majority or you're a minority just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I'd never heard it before. And it yeah. didn't, I remember, I'll never forget. It, it made me feel less than, and, and it's a word that I've never really liked, mm. <laughs> but you know, it, it, so it took a while to learn. It took a, and, and don't forget, we were 
I was educated under the British system. So even certain words, yeah, like, you know, flat versus apartment, right? you know, um, plats versus braids. I mean, just simple things. I didn't have anybody teaching me those things. So I kind of stumbled, stumbled, stumbled along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so as your kind of education, um, progressed and, and everything, did, did you continue to think about kind of that international business and stuff? I mean, I, I said business, you haven't mentioned business, but I, I know at some point yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of get that interest in business and marketing. Um, how did that kind of progress towards when you were looking after college, what, what you wanted to do? Yeah, I fell in love with business. So general business 101, Professor Kaufman. And again, I was dumb. You know, all my classes were the 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. classes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You probably like if you if you if you were just really studying at school and and you were mesmerized at, at eight a.m. You probably stood out as a student, especially right. too. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I had nobody telling me no. Don't sign up for the eight a.m. Yeah, classes. Yeah. You know, but but unfortunately, um, there you go. I took. I had, uh, but but I. It turned. Everything happens for a reason. Because I had a fabulous teacher for general business. I'll never forget uh, Dr. Kaufman. And then uh, Dr. Benson for marketing. And those two professors, I fell in love with business and marketing and there was like no turning back. And so it became, how do I combine that with my love of languages and my love of travel? Yeah. And and I said, geez, well, okay, so I'll do this international trade allows me to do a minor in economics, a minor in marketing, I mean, and a minor in a language. And I took French. Um, I got to still travel. I spent two summers in Paris working. Um, and um, and so I kind of got, I didn't need to relocate to Paris and I was loving Hofstra. So I ended up staying um, for the full four years. And then later on, and, and I'm still affiliated with Hofstra. I've been a trustee for the past 10 years. Yeah, 13 years. Yeah. Wow. So I, I heard with your first job, there was kind of a story with your tenacity getting that job uh sounds like you were you you had an idea what you wanted um yeah yeah what was that and 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 how'd you go about getting that so I'm a first of all I'm a planner I like to plan Mm. things things out Mm -hmm. I'm one of those I've had you know uh, I've had a five-year plan. I want to do this by this time and that by that time. And it's not a strict plan, but it's sort of a guideline. And when I was in business school, I was very clear about what types of companies I wanted to work with. And um, Pepsi was one of the companies that uh, was coming on campus. Um, I was just finishing up my first year and Pepsi was coming on campus to recruit. <clears throat> and it very clearly said, we only want to see second year's students mm. for, um, for full-time job opportunities. And um, so, and I was a full year, first year, so I couldn't register for the event, but I put on my suit and I went to the event and sort of, you know, charmed my way in the door and then worked the room, found the vice president of marketing and basically told him he needed to hire me. <laughs> so, what, what, what was the pitch? What, what, like, cause, cause they, like, I think 
my lesson, I mean, I've, I've, my last job was a sales job and I was pitching to CMOs of, of big companies. And if you say I have an important message, they're going to listen to, they're going to give you like 15 seconds, but really it'll probably be like two or three before. What what, what was your, your pitch? My my pitch was very simple. You're not going to find anybody else who's hungrier and more passionate to come work for you, um, and who's going to work. Nobody is going to work harder. And then mm-hmm. and here are you know NYU. A lot of the students that go there uh, at that time to business school, you did did not necessarily have an undergraduate business degree, and I had. So I said. It, I'm not new to marketing. I've, I studied business at Hofstra for four years. I'm very hungry. I will work hard. You're not going to find anybody more passionate. And I think he's looking at me like, okay, this woman's crazy, but, <laughs> but there's something I do like. Yeah. And he said, you know what? Okay, here's my card. Give me a call. Um, we're here sort of hiring, you know, sort of full-time, but um, but give me a call and let's see what happens. And I, it turns out that I did get a full-time job, not the same as I would have if I would, would have been graduating. So I started at a level lower because I was still in, in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I still have that letter here somewhere. It, wow. So th- I started in, at Pepsi in September. Or I'm going to date myself here, sadly, 1985, making like $35,000 a year. And I thought that that was, that might've as well been a million dollars. And um, yeah, I, I, I was just too thrilled. And I ended up spending 13 years at Pepsi. Wow. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't mean to continue dating yourself, but uh, <laughs> I, I was not, I was not alive yet, but oh, I, I'd imagine it was re- a really innovative company. Like, I, I don't know how long Pepsi was around for, but I just think about the old Pepsi commercials and new products. And what was that atmosphere like? Electric. Wow. It was very exciting because um, we had great leadership. Roger Enrico, who uh, is a an icon in the business, was the CEO. And the... I think he reveled in the Pepsi versus Coke war. Yeah. And I, I worked there during the days of the Pepsi Coke challenge, you know, where we'd have these challenges set up in the streets and blind taste tests. And, you know, Coke was the number one product. Pepsi was the underdog and we fought like the underdog. And so yeah. it was very exciting. And I'll never forget that um, we were making a lot of progress and then but Coke always ignored Pepsi. They just pretended like, you know, get, you know, you're too small. And then Coke changed the formula and they came up with something called new Coke. And it was not good. Um, but they changed it to be sweeter because Pepsi's profile was a little bit sweeter. Yep, yep. Um, and Roger and Rico took out a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal, you know, basically saying the other guy blinked. <laughs> and I, you know, and, wow. um, and, and then those were the days that like him or love him. I mean, we signed Michael Jackson. We did all of these fabulous commercials. It was a very exciting time. Um, a very innovative time. I like to tell the story of, um, I was a marketing assistant and the marketing assistant next to me was working on a new product 
And he had himself had just come out of business school, maybe a couple of months working at Pepsi. And he had an, a marketing idea that Pepsi to launch their new product should get this particular product. They should get a blimp and have it fly over the Super Bowl because the, the brand was too small to afford an ad on the Super Bowl. So they said, Hey, let's yeah. put a blimp in the air. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wrote an, and he wrote an email to his manager. His manager said, um, we're going to, I'm going to send it to Roger. And he got, uh, he got back a note from Roger Rico saying, great idea. And then, I don't know, six or seven months later, I'm watching the Super Bowl and there's the blimp. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's the kind of excitement. Wow. That, um, I really enjoyed working there at that time. Yeah, because I, I, I'm just like kind of sensing that the electricity, like there, I, I don't know how to describe the, I, I guess probably the, the recipe for that electricity is depend is dif- different everywhere and it has circumstances and people and competition. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but the, the one thing that it has always mm. is leadership mm. that, that's setting the tone. You have mm-hmm. to have someone yep. at the top, someone in management that's setting the tone that says that this is, this is okay because some of these things are risky, right? Yeah. And most people are risk averse, especially, hey, I don't want to lose my job. So you have to set the tone that says, not only do we uh, want these ideas, but that there's no downside to you to bringing up what might might feel like a, a dumb idea because that dumb idea might spark another idea. And so some in my, that's one thing that I have learned is that you leaders at the top really can set the culture for what they want in their organizations. Wow. Yeah. Large or small. Yeah. And I feel like we could talk for hours about <laughs> like, uh, and I would uh, love to, but uh, we're, we're going to talk <laughs> about hot sauce and yes. uh, later, but I, I do want to maybe kind of tap into uh, another one or two of your stories. And I mean, you've seems like that was just such a, um, kind of an amazing experience that I'd imagine you brought a lot of lessons into future roles. But uh, I know you also um, part were part of launching Splenda. Um, and that seems like kind of a, another exciting and innovative yeah. and, and probably risky uh, business. But I'm curious if there were kind of any really exciting, uh, I'm sure there are tons of exciting moments, but uh, if there's anything that kind of sticks out from, from that experience. Well, I took all of my, my, my years of training, if you will, uh, at Pepsi, and I took them to, to Johnson & Johnson when we were launching Splenda, because at that time, there were two very clear leaders in the marketplace. It was sweet and low and equal, the pink and the blue. And it didn't seem like there was space for a new entrant, um, but we had something different to talk about. And, um, and so here comes the yellow. And it literally, I spent a, a 10 years at J&J, and I would say that it was perhaps the most exciting, as, as exciting as Pepsi was, mm-hmm. the 10 years at J&J were perhaps my most fulfilling years because we were building, we were launching not just a brand, we were launching a new division inside of J&J, something different, something totally new to the world, right? So we all get to launch a new flavor of this, a new can or bottle of that, but it's not 
it's not usual that you get to, some, to launch something totally new to the world. And Splenda was totally new to the world. Um, and the, and everybody, you know, everybody doubted that this thing could be successful. Uh, so many people doubted. Wow. And the day, um, I think I have the chart saved in my thoughts. I'm a pack rat, obviously. <laughs> the, the day that Splenda took over market leadership, from equal i mean it was one of those things you saw that the share graph slowly growing 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 and then when uh, splenda took over leadership from equal that was a big celebration for us um but that was you know a, certainly a lesson in because i had been in the cola wars <laughs> the sweetener wars yeah um because that was also hard fought um and um, and I and 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 I do have framed the billionth packet of Splenda when we crossed a billion wow. packets wow. because you know food service and to this day to this day I love to be in a Starbucks and I hear someone say hey you know I want um, a, a, a two Splenda latte I'm like yes that's me <laughs> that's, that's awesome me. I did that <laughs> <laughs> very yeah. cool well I, I like. I, I want to th- talk about because I think it, it must have been there probably weren't many. I tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, black women in y- your your roles uh, in in kind of the corporate landscape, and, and I'm just kind of thinking when you were kind of introduced to a new atmosphere at Hofstra and going to college, were there uh, similarities in kind of a, a big adjustment, but also having to, I mean, I, I've heard just about how there's just so much um, discrimination known or unknown, but I, I'm, I'm curious how you kind of navigated that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, yes. Um, so I think the, the, the thing is sort of going back to my roots um you know, for whatever reason, and maybe it is growing in a small island, growing up in a small island yeah. that, you know, literally is a dot on the map that, you know, um, that, that makes you persistent or that builds resilience. Um, but, you know, I've always been that type of person. If you tell me that I can't not do something that I become more determined to prove you wrong. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I think when I came to this country and it was clear that, you know, eh, not everybody necessarily had expected me to succeed, or even when I started working, that there were people with low expectations, um, then, you know, at first that was not debilitating, but it was discouraging. And I turned it around to, okay, well, a low bar means I can jump high over it and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and be successful in that regard. I'm not going to let other people's views or expectations of me hold me back. And I think that's sort of what um, I still do to this day. Um, but my journey has changed in that it was tougher in the early years because, you know, you're an unknown qu- entity or quantity, if you will. And, um, and, and sometimes people judge you just based on, the external um, and it was not unusual for me to be the only, right. The only mm-hmm. woman, the mm-hmm. only person of color. Um, and um, you know, and so 
But in, early in my career, I think I focused on those things too much. I would look around and say, like, how come I'm the only? And then over the years, as I sort of grew into my own skin, I, you know, I stopped worrying about what other people's views of that were because that's too much for me to take on. Yeah. If, there, if there are 10 people in the room and I'm worrying that each one of them might think something of me because I'm different, that's, I can't be my best if I'm yeah. thinking about that. So I yeah. had to learn to release that. Their issues, their views are their views. What I can do is I can do me. And I need to be fully present within myself to bring that to the table. And as and, and I think once I released that and realized that, it, it allowed me to succeed. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not sitting around trying to be judgmental or trying to, to see what other people are doing or thinking. I'm just doing me. And, and I know that regardless of, you know, what most people want on the team is somebody who's going to, help them be successful, the team get the results, help them look good. And I sort of focused on doing what I could do to jump over those hurdles, to, to demonstrate that I could do the job. And many times I got overlooked. Many times I got um, discrimination, discriminated against, you know, whether it was sexism, <laughs> racism, um, you know, all different forms. Um, but you, you literally can't let, you cannot, it's too, that's too much armor to worry about. Yeah, yeah. And I just sort of let it go and just kept being me. And, and if I was in an environment where I felt that I couldn't be successful because of, because people were holding those things against me, I'd move on. Yeah. And I was fortunate, you know, I, I've only really worked for three companies and I was fortunate that I didn't have to jump to 20 companies to do that. Yeah. I mean, just kind of from hearing you talk about kind of your upbringing with just kind of celebrating yourself yeah. and people and also the the risk of, of not being afraid of, of what am I supposed to do? I, I think yeah. when people can be their, their true selves and that's when kind of creativity can spark connectivity with teams. Um, yep. Wow. Yeah. At the end of the day, somehow you have to find a way to make connections with people. Yeah. Um, more individual connections. Um, and, you know, when you can, that's when you are allowed, when you get seen, you know, and which is why to this day, I'm a big advocate for diversity because I was often that person who wasn't seen or heard. And so when I'm at the table, I want to make sure that the people around the table, that I'm giving people an opportunity to bring forth an answer or a, a business, you know, to a business challenge or issue. I'm not only going to go to the, my friends or the ones that I know best. Let's hear from everybody. Let's yeah. hear from diverse perspectives because we might think we have the answer, but, yep. but Sue in the corner over there might be thinking about something that we hadn't even thought about. Have we heard from her? So, yeah. So what, when did you think about deciding to, start your own company? I never actually, <laughs> I just kind of jumped into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, think, as the planner, you just, you just did it. <laughs> I know. I think because I did not. So early in, early in my sort of professional career, when I got married, we decided one of us was going to do something entrepreneurial. And one of us was going to be, have that steady paycheck. 
And I was, you know, and it, as it uh, just, turned uh, up, it, if you don't mind me asking, I'm just curious mm-hmm. why the entre- entrepreneurial piece, is it like the flexibility um, or just the, the, no, it was, a, it was about building wealth. And, okay. and it was, um, it was that if you look at real wealth in this country, it's based well around the world. You don't really get to real wealth if you're working for somebody else. If you can get that right entrepreneurial hit, if you will, yeah. that's where you get real wealth and, and, and freedom. And so that was a thought. We were both business students, and that was our thinking. Um, and as it turns out, my, I, th- I wanted to be the entrepreneur, but as it turns out, my career took off. And so, you know, I was sort of the one with the, the steady job. Um, and while we both did that for a while, there was always a thought at some point, one of us is going to spin off and do something entrepreneurial. And I just, my career just kept going well. Yeah. So I, so that put aside, but I got to feed that entrepreneurial spirit yep. by doing innovation inside. So I call it intrapreneurship right? Working on new products. I mean, Splenda was a perfect example of feeding that entrepreneurial side of me. So it's a new product. It's a new division inside of, but I'm, but it's J and J money. It's, you know, I didn't have yep. to go to the bank and get a personal loan to right. launch it. Um, and so I got to do it with, with a lot less, certainly personal risk, um, and then when I went on to Mars doing a lot of innovation and new business, it, 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 it fed this side of me that loved innovation. So when I left Mars and I was transitioning into a career of governance and sitting on boards, it was sort of a gap. It yeah. was, you know, and I had, I had capacity and then, you know, sitting in my aunt's kitchen and getting berated on the fact that, um, you know, my generation in the family is not doing enough to keep the family recipes going. That sparked an idea. Wow. Is that is that a, a big thing with kind of different generations in, in Trinidad and Tobago and, and maybe Venezuela as well? But it, it, I mean, it, it seems like as a a newly kind of independent country. There's a lot of times where it's like generation generations have mindsets and and build things (laughs) and, and a new generation comes with a different mindset. Is that something that was kind of present or, or, or? Yes. And no, it's just, so it was not sort of something we actively talked about, but it definitely was, you know, the, this, I call it now, having worked at Mars, I call it, you know, sort of Gen 1, Gen 2, but we didn't really ever talk about it that way. Yeah. At the same time, there was sort of a cohort, right? So the, my generation, if you will, of the the, the, the cousins, the first cousins, the, the, the children of the 12, yep. we were a cohort. We were a generation. And we knew that, even though we didn't use those words, um, and we were often treated and referred to as a group <laughs> in that way. You know, you guys don't do this or you guys aren't doing enough. Um, our, our one person's shortfalling was everybody's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so you're, you're on and generation above you wanted just for you to be continuing to celebrate food and, and, Okay. Well, I think, yeah. So I think what what her issue, what my Aunt Mavis's issue was at the time was that, you know, hey, we're getting older. 
and um, you guys need to take over. So whenever the family gets together, whether it's 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we get usually together at somebody's house. And because we are a very matriarchal family, and this is not to say that the guys don't cook, but, you know, the women cook, make these huge, wonderful dishes and so forth. And we, by the way, have men, we do have men that are awesome cooks in the family, but we are very matriarchal. And so there is an expectation that Aunt Mavis will do this, Auntie Grace will do that. You know, different people make different dishes, but the weight seems to fall on a particular group. Mm. And what my aunt was complaining about was that her generation needed to just relax and kick back. And we needed to be the ones um, doing the cooking and so forth. And that we were not doing enough. Not not that we didn't do any, but her thought was we need to completely take over. Um, And I thought that I hadn't heard it before. But this was the first time that I actually had capacity to do something about it. I wasn't sort of working, you know, the typical nine to five or <laughs> nine to nine. <laughs> um, and um, and she had these products and it occurred to me that geez, these her, her sauces are actually really good. Yeah. And why don't we why don't we work to commercialize them? And that would be one way. And then we could also then work on, she would give me her recipes. She would do a Vulcan mind meld and give (laughs) me all of the recipes, sort of download them into my brain. And, um, and then we could share them with the world, but more importantly, we'd have them as a legacy for other generations in the family. Wow. Yeah. So, so, um, the, the idea seemed to, you had the capacity, you, you, uh, you probably it was wanted, not in the, yeah. yeah, it was not in my plan. My plan was I'm moving into governance. I'm going to sit yeah. on three or four boards and travel around the world and take life easy. Um, but this is a better plan. You know, that's the one thing about a plan. You have to yep. be able to, you, you have to be able to, um, to shift and it was something that um, I hadn't seen and hadn't anticipated. And, and I'm so thrilled that we started this business. So, so when, when did you start it? Uh, what were, or, or, yeah, actually, I would love to hear, especially from somebody that's launched so many things, whether those be marketing campaigns, a, a brand new product, like how did you think about it um, and from kind of like concept and then starting to get the wheels moving. So keep in mind when I was in sort of large companies, right. From beginning to end, the launch of a product would be could depending on how simple or easy it could be 24 to 36 months. And that would be too long. Um, We would try and get it down to between 12 to 18 months. And for smaller companies, that's even still too long, but that would be sort of the, the window that we would work with. Okay. Um, because we're planning calendars, marketing calendars and so forth ahead of time. So usually about 18 months. Um, and there are huge penalties if you're missing stage gates. So if you, you know, you miss your launch date, for example, right? If you've negotiated a display for the launch I with yep. Walmart you better deliver it on right. that day or there yeah. are huge penalties. I, I, I've always heard about that. It's like, if you get into Walmart or into the big Whole Foods, don't miss that date. And, and don't I, miss I, the date. I, I, haven't, uh, 
haven't mm-hmm. got my foot in there yet, but so I haven't missed the date, but yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's I, I'd imagine when yeah. it's a bigger company. So you, yeah. yeah. You don't miss those shipment dates. And so there's, you do everything in your power to keep your launch date. You make a commitment for the launch date and you do everything in your power. It's a very big deal to say, you know, we're not going to launch on time yeah. um, because much, a lot of money is associated with it. The diso, but when you're, um, you're on your own, um, and you don't have that, what you do have is a little bit more freedom to create and, and say, you know what, I'm not, but for me, especially since this would be something with my first name and I didn't have displays, I, we were sort of doing this at our own free will. I literally said, I'm not moving to the next stage until I'm a hundred percent happy at this stage. Um, and, and because I didn't have huge teams and huge budgets, mm-hmm. it took longer. So, I mean, sitting in my aunt's kitchen i think uh that was you know 2015 2016 um and we weren't really ready to launch until 2017 (laughs) um and it took a very long time to get the the product even ready to be commercial okay Um, so it's a lot of pro pro, like kind of uh r&d and getting recipes and um What were there? I mean, Aunt Mavis is the the kind of yes. the, the 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 where where a lot of the the recipes and things She's came from. But yes, inspiration. Yeah. yeah. What sort of sauces um, w- were you working on? To, uh, to so we with? were going to launch with um, this every every um, I would say West Indian, but certainly every Trinidadian household. You will if you open the refrigerator, you're going to see something called a green sauce. Okay. And the the green sauce is basically a mix of herbs and spices that we use for seasonings. So you call it a green sauce, a um, a herb sauce. Um, uh, they call different things, but basically it's you know thyme, scallions, garlic. Um, you know, something we have called shadow benet. All culantro, uh, cilantro, all mixed up, but it's a ready to go seasoning. Right. So that was the first thing. And she had a fabulous, she literally, I mean, every, every um, household has their own version, but mm-hmm. I thought, of course, my aunt was very, was, was, was one of the best. Um, wow. And then she had a hot sauce, a pepper sauce, and she would sometimes sell these sauces. And I, I, I would say sell in air quotes because, you know, she was not a business person and she was really more doing it as favors um, and she'd make a bottle here and a bottle there. And I think that was the thing too. She had said, I cannot continue to do this. You, you're, you've done cooks. She's like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, um, with the mask and she says, I'm coughing too much afterwards. I can't, I just can't do it. And she's doing it in her own kitchen, right? In with, her with, own, scor- with scorpion peppers. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, those are too much. Yeah. 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 So, too, so, so she said, I just can't continue to do this. And that, that plus the fact that I thought, geez, from a quality standpoint, this is a great product. And I've yeah. launched products for big companies. Why not launch it for my own family? And that was sort of the birth of the idea. But going from my Aunt Mavis's cook <laughs> to a commercial cook yeah. was, it took forever because one, I didn't want to use I did not want to, I only, uh, I really wanted to use fresh ingredients, mm-hmm. got past that. That's really fraught with a whole host of issues. So then I only wanted to use IQF ingredients, 
but the, I couldn't find IQF what, ingredients. What, what's IQF? Oh, I'm sorry. Basically, it's frozen. Fro- okay. Frozen fresh. Frozen fresh. Gotcha. I'm not sure what okay. IQF stands for, but it's frozen fresh. So you okay. get the parsley. It's frozen fresh, and then there's a way to de-thaw it. So yep. what you get is still that fresh cook. Right? Gotcha. I just didn't want to use powdered and dried. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't want to use artificial. Um, and so it took a while. It took a while to get everything right. And then the very first recipe that I took, okay, fine, it's done. And I took it to a commercial R&D house. They, they said, Deborah, 23 ingredients. No. <laughs> wow. Because, <laughs> you know, she had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so yeah. we had, it's like, okay, great. We got it. I said, and they said, even if it's all natural, it's not going to read well. Nobody wants to see a paragraph of ingredients, even if it's sort of all natural ingredients. So you got to, you got to, and plus the cost. So, you know, we, it, it took a while. It took a while to get it to something that is as close to her as, as possible, but, uh, but it did have to be different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, like with the, is it, how do you pronounce it? Is it Soka sauce? Yeah. So Soka is the music of Trinidad and Tobago. So, Oh, okay. Right. So what, when, when we talked about steel pens earlier, that's Calypso, right? Um, but we also have, Soka and Soka is a little bit slightly different beat than a traditional calypso, um, but it is the music of Trinidad. And so, what I wanted was because our sauces are a little bit different than just a pepper sauce that is a condiment, they're also cooking sauces. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, they are full of flavor. And um, I wanted something that embodied the spirit of the islands. And so I, I took, you know, um, like we call them soca sauces. They're soca pepper sauces because the, the some of the pepper sauces, it's, we, we need to let people know that there are peppers in there that yeah, they're yeah, hot. Yeah. Yep. But we've got the soca marinade and then we have a soca curry and we have, so, yeah. I love that. Yeah, we got, uh, I just have the ingredients here for the, the soca and then you have a, a hotter version, but it, you got papaya, onions, apple cider vinegar, mustard, sunflower oil, bell peppers, cauliflower, cilantro, sugar, habaneros, garlic, salt, parsley, jalapenos, spices. Wow, mm. that, that sounds so delicious and everything. Um, yeah, and and as I said, there were more ingredients that we cut out. <laughs> yeah. but, but things like the papaya does give it a little bit different taste, right? And some mm-hmm. people say that, sauce has a little bit of a sweet taste because there's there's some juice in there as well a little bit so yeah it's um full of packed with flavor and that's constant feedback that we get that the sauces are not just hot but they are flavor so for example these were and, and this is what i love about creating new products yeah we when you imagine the product and then you launch it into the world it sometimes develops into something very different Right. And you yes. can decide if you're willing to accept that and embrace it or yep. if you want to lock it off. We decided to embrace it because when I gave my sauces to chefs and and said, hey, look, here's, you know, do what you will. They came back to me with recipes and things that I was like, oh, well, that wasn't really what how I thought it was going to be used. So, for example, the soca sauce, which um, has become the sauce that people a lot of people use we've won a number of chicken wing 
competitions because now people use it. They take the chicken wings, they bathe it in the soca sauce. Then they will either put it on the grill or bake it. And you've got these sort of really spicy, delicious chicken wings. Yeah. That was, I never thought about that. Right. Yeah. But I fully embrace it because one, it's delicious. And two, um, that's what sometimes happens with new products. You know, you put them out in the world and people adopt them and they, they change them. Well, when you kind of said that, it, like it, the, the sauce, the brand can take on a life of its own. I, that's so exciting when it happens. Um, yeah. and, and I felt it with my own kind of hot sauce and even the craft hot sauce community, um, that I, I've been working on, um, but how has Basildi grown uh, and, and, and what, like, I know that you have this incredible food, your, your family story that has music and celebration and, and celebrating your unique individuality to that. But how has it grown and, and, and where do you see this continuing to, to grow through just yeah. organic life? Well, I- <laughs> So the, the other thing that I did, I, I swear to you, Brian, I did not know about when I launched these products. I did not know about the passionate hot sauce community that is out there. And so I didn't know that there were hot sauce shows <laughs> that people <laughs> throng to and that they are just <laughs> yeah. willing to taste. And they're in, I didn't know that there were people that are in search of just the hottest sauce ever. And, yeah. but it is a wonderful community because one, they will try just about anything at least once. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they, they reward flavor and they reward fun and they reward new. Um, and I just, it, 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 I, it blew my mind away when we started, um, you know, when we were launching and I'd hired a company to help me promote the product. And they said, well, you know, there are these hot sauce festivals. And I think I'd known about one or two. I did not know that there were so many. And there's a full annual calendar of hot sauce festivals around the country, around the world, really. Yeah. Um, on, on our website, shameless plug. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Exactly. And so we started um, sending our sauce out for competitions. We started doing some of these shows. Unfortunately, COVID shut down a lot of the, the live shows. But yeah. I, I just got a note recently that some of these things are starting back up. The competitions mm-hmm. have started back up. We just won in the 2021 Scoville Award. So oh, Scoville, awesome. yeah, we just Scoville. won it. Yeah, the Scoville. That's, so that's we, awesome. That's huge. Congratulations. Yes. So we, we won several awards in the Scoville Awards, and we're very, very proud of that. Um, and so we hope to sort of get back onto the road, sort of traveling. But again, when I did the original sort of marketing plan, I didn't have that as part of it. I didn't envision these food. And that's the other thing is food. So hot sauce awards and shows and then food festivals. I hadn't anticipated what a big part that that would be at the business. So we're very happy to be starting back on the road in the back half of this year. I see that some festivals are coming back and, and some events are coming back that we will be participating in because I personally love to myself go to those because I love to hear people interact yeah, with yeah. the product. You get the feedback, yep. what they love, what they don't love, how they use it, what they want. 
And there's nothing, you know, I used to spend when I was in marketing in large corporations, I would spend tens of thousands of dollars to get market research. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To me, to me, that's my market research is going yep. out there, sampling the product and hearing live what, you know, that live feedback. And I just love the interaction myself. Yeah. You know, I, I feed off of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, I like, uh, I'm going to be knock on wood, uh, but uh, vending at the New York city hot sauce expo. uh, And that I I went to that um, a few years in a row, but like the energy from there is just insane. Yes. And, and, uh, but also like there's a a small chili fest in Western mass uh, where (laughs) I get a lot of my peppers from. And again, like different, different angle at it but like so much community and just like happy to be there so i think people are more than excited and hopeful to get back to yes back to normal um but the The, pepper sauce companies have been working hard to to innovate and and uh, we're, we're all looking forward to it well i don't know what some of your other um, the companies that you're working with, what their experience has been. But my experience in 2020 has been, you know, it, in the advent of the pandemic, initially things really shut down. I mean, um, business was almost null and void for a few months. And then as people realized, okay, this is going to be here for a while, um, as some of the checks started, you know, coming in, coming out, people started to cook at home and a lot of people were looking for recipes and different things because now, whereas we used to be out, the kids were out getting lunch at school. Now I'm given lunch at home. So a -hmm. quick chicken salad recipe is helpful um, and things like more. So, you know, my, I've always marketed to who I call, you know, what I call CEO mom. She's the CEO of the household. I love that. She, she, she runs the budget. She does all the planning. um, and, And, that is not to be, you know, chauvinistic in any way, um, but it is often CEO mom. Um, <laughs> yep. And um, and I've always wanted to CEO mom because if you think about it, it's like okay, often whether she's doing the cooking or not, it's if there's nothing on the table, they do tend to to look to mom. Yeah. Um, and you know, variety and health. Yeah. Um, are really important to CEO mom. And so we found, we did find eventually, I want to say by like July, business picked back up again um, and has stayed fairly constant since yeah. then. We actually saw that um, right when March happened, our website traffic went up um, with recipes and yeah. orders and yeah, like it, like, I, man, I am sick uh, of tuna salad, but when I got, when I got 15 different hot sauces to choose from, like I can, yes. I can yes. go, I, actually, I was going to say I can go another year, but I can't. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, no, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just have a couple more questions, but before we wrap up, but um, you now like th- three generations uh, of uh, working on the business, what, has that been, I mean, and that's something that's must be new to you, at least on the, on the the business side, like, how has that gone? (laughs) Uh, Well, I will say this family business is harder than corporate America. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So 
Um, yes. Yeah, so my aunt Mavis is still very involved and she's the chief. What I, her title is chief inspiration officer. She's always coming up with new recipes and things. And she actually has recipes that we haven't gotten around to launching. Um, and, you know, she has to sort of approve the final recipe on everything mm-hmm. has to pass, has to pass her test. Um, then and I am sort of the business engine person, you know, okay. Um, and then my daughter is helping more with the social media and she works with the, the folks at social wise, um, as well as just sort of thinking about how to, um, to market the product in, 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 in largely in, on, in social media, um, because we sell off of our own site. We do yep. sell some off of our Amazon, um, but th- that's been the focus. And that was also a sort of a test I wanted to do is can you launch a food product and have it done primarily through e-commerce? Yeah. Um, the short answer is yes, but it's very hard yep. Yep. <laughs> right? because scale comes from the retail environment still. Yep. Um, but again, I'm doing this really all on my own. I don't have investors, so I can go at my own pace. I can yep. do, you know, uh, as I can have it look the way I want it to look at some point that'll change. But in the meanwhile, I get to, I just love that, you know, um, and then my fiance who is my, is the money guy. So it's a family affair. And, you know, when you sort of have a meeting, it's actually really cool in a way that you're looking around the table at family members. Yeah. And, and yet there are other times I wish it was someone who really worked for me that I could just sort of say, can you just go do it? Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm the, I'm the same way. I, my uh, brother helped me this morning and it was like, I, I, we did our cook a little bit earlier and, and he, he likes to sleep in. So I, I had to make him a breakfast sandwich so that he wouldn't get grumpy and hungry halfway through the cook. And, and my mom is really, I, I am, I'm, I'm the, the big picture. My mom is like the operations and, but she was like, she knows me so well. And, yeah. and so like, she can just even look at me and kind of tell what I'm thinking. And, and, and so I think it, it's, we, at least my experience with my families and we've gotten closer and, and it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a really treat to work with them. Yes. Um, but it's also challenging when there's stressful times when I know I'm pushing myself and them to the limits. And it's just like, they're yeah. probably like, man, like Brian, you, you, got, us into, yeah, you, you got us into this whole, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I actually take on, I take on most of the frustration and try to keep them away from as much of it as possible, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's not always possible. Right. I mean, because it is stressful doing your own thing. Um, and then, and there are financial issues that you worry about. So, um, but, but that said, so yes, there are days when I would, and I was like, okay, you know, if if I had a department to do this, it would have been done by now. (laughs) (laughs) But but I don't have a department. I have family and we get it done. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to leave you with this question and and leave our listeners. And um, I mean, I've been kind of truly inspired just to, I think, celebrate myself uh, and, and who I am, but also welcome everybody uh, from all different backgrounds and, and celebrate 
who, who they are. Um, but it seems like you've been kind of had amazing mentors, experiences um, over the years. Do you have any kind of mantras or, or things that have advice maybe that has kind of helped you think about how to be your whole self um, and to celebrate others? Wow. Um, I think, I don't know that I have necessarily a mantra per se that I can leave people with, but I, I do say this. It's really important to invest in yourself. Um, you, you know, it's, it's very similar to, you know, you get on the plane and they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think investing in yourself will allow you to do better at whatever you're working on and will allow you to, to give to those that you want to give to mm-hmm. even more. But when, whenever I have sort of cheated myself, whether, it, you know, and you can, you can cheat yourself for a little while, but you can't over the long haul. You have to make sure that you're spending the time to know what makes you happy, that you are investing in enough time to do those things that bring you joy. That makes you a better, I think, mom, sibling, niece, whatever, daughter, mm-hmm. um, as and spouse, <laughs> it makes you better because you're happy in yourself before you can do all these other things. And I find that I am my most powerful when I can first take care of myself. And then when I show up, so on, on those days where I do get up and I do a great workout and I have a great breakfast. And by the time I sit down to, for my first meeting, I've got energy. I feel great. I'm ready to go on those mornings where I drag myself out of bed and I put on the, the sweatpants and try to like, you know, put lipstick on the pig so I look okay for the first <laughs> Zoom. I'm actually not at my best. Mm. I'm actually not at my best. And so um, it's a, but it is a struggle every day, right? Yeah. And so I say invest in yourself. It will allow you to invest in everyone else. I love that. Yeah. Awesome, Deborah. Well, well wow. Th- thank you so much uh, for, for the time. And, um, and we got to give a, a plug for, cause I think uh, people a hundred percent will be trying these, uh, these sauces. Uh, and yeah, let's just do the, the rundown real quick. Well, you got the, the yeah. we, we didn't talk about the curry sauce, but you, right. uh, yeah. What, so what's, where can people get your sauces and, and everything? Yes. So the brand is Bazodi, www.bazodi.com. That's B-A-Z-O-D-E-E.com. And Bazodi means, it's a Trinidadian word that means crazy, loco, head over heels oh, um, in love. And we say, you know, cook with the Bazodi sauces and people will be head over heels in love for your sauce. So we've that. got two hot sauces. We've got the Soka sauce, which is a mild hot sauce. And then we got the hot, hot sauce, which is got scorpion pepper and we'll soon be coming with a hot, hot, hot (laughs) because my Trinidadian friends have told me and my Jamaican friends have told me they need more heat. So we're coming with a hotter version. Nice. Um, Then we have a curry sauce that is also uh, got a little bite to it. I'd say mild heat, um, but full packed of flavor. It's a curry simmer sauce actually. Um, And then we've got a sweet sauce, a tamarind, 
and we've got a uh, the marinade, the green sauce, which has no 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 peppers, no hot peppers at all, but it is a a green seasoning, and it is absolutely yeah. delicious. Kind of like a chimichurri and pesto as well. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Craft Hot Sauce Podcast. We have many other stories that we featured on the podcast that you can go back and listen to. Uh, But we also have a lot more written stories that you can check out on our website, crafthotsauce.com. We'd appreciate it if you hit subscribe, leave us a review, or tell a friend about the podcast. Our next episode will be focused on growing chili peppers and coming up with hot sauce experiments. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.